0: Can they really hack it? Have they not been out too long? And that particular question makes me really cross.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP, business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Lisa Unwin. Lisa is a LinkedIn influencer and expert author on women's careers. Her book, She's Back, is often cited as the go-to resource for women returning to work. She's the co-founder of Reignite Academy and Inclusivity Partners. Lisa, welcome. Hello it's great to have you on the podcast so much to talk about maybe if you could take me back to the start of your organization she's back or the the initiative that was called she's back at the time what were your sort of personal reasons for identifying the issue of women returning to work after a break so
0: I had I'd had a 20 year career working as a management consultant and then ended up as director of brand and communication at Deloitte when my children were young and I I couldn't travel so much anymore and I took a career break in 2008 I I didn't I didn't realize it was a career break at the time I basically flounced out because I didn't get a promotion I was expecting and the same week my nanny resigned and it was all just you know having a four-year-old and a six-year-old trying to hold down a job my husband was traveling all the time it just wasn't working anymore so so I resigned with no thought about the future And nobody took me to one side and explained that my four-year-old and six-year-old wouldn't be four and six forever. So fast forward six years, I found myself with children, one of whom was probably just at senior school, the other one I could see them going. And I I literally was in the kitchen listening to Woman's Hour, and it was the power list. And I just thought, what on earth has happened to me? I'm never going to be on that power list. Why have I walked away? It was okay. I had a 20-year career behind me. What am I going to do for the 20 years ahead? And that's when I realised that there were so many women like me who'd had, you know, successful careers in all sorts of different professions, who'd walked away at that sort of midpoint and were now floundering, I guess, in terms of thinking about what to do next.
1: So what did you do about it?
0: Well, I decided that what I would do is shine a light on this problem because the newspapers at the time were full of news about the Davis Report, which was demanding that boards should comprise 30% of women. And I thought, well, you're missing the point here. It's not the board problem that you need to solve. It's the problem two or three levels down. That's where you lose all the women. So I decided to set up an organisation to shine a light on that problem and try and get organisations to take seriously this untapped talent pool. So that's when I set up She's Back which was about writing and campaigning and networking and just basically making a lot of noise.
1: And did you expect to be received as positively as you have been?
0: I think I had a couple of lucky breaks. Um, I mean, I talk to people when I'm talking to them about getting getting their careers back on track, that you must tap into your network. Um, and, and women don't like the thought of networking. They think it's all about, you know, warm white wine in stuffy hotel rooms, handing out business cards. And it's not that at all. It's just connecting with people that you know. And And I happened to be mentioning to a friend of mine who I I used to work with that I had this idea and he said, well, I think that's a great idea. And he was at uh, at the time he was HR Director of News International. So he said, you know, come in one day and talk to me about it because I was trying to get some sponsorship for some research I was trying to do. So I went in to talk to him to try and drum up a bit of sponsorship. And while I was there, I think it was sort of half past five, six o'clock in the evening, and he said, oh, why don't you come up with me? Um, I'm just about to go to a women's networking event here at News International. And he took me up to this event and introduced me to Eleanor Mills, who was the editor of the Sunday Times magazine at the time. We got talking and she ended up uh, in the February of that year commissioning a big piece in the Sunday Times, which was called The Forgotten Army. And then interest in this topic just exploded. How were you received by
1: the kind of the C-suite, by the executives? Because they're the people that have got to sort of move on this, aren't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Generally speaking, um, people get it because they, you tell them your story and they go, yeah, that's my wife or my sister or my niece or my friend or somebody I, I, I worked with. So they, they get it very quickly. That You're not talking about something they've never thought about. So they can, they can but the question then becomes, well, Two questions. Number one, do these women really want to go back to work? Or are they not perfectly happy as they are? Uh, and, and the answer is different. For different you know, some people are perfectly happy as they are. Many do want to get their careers back on track for all sorts of reasons. Um, so that's the first question. Do they want to go back? And then the second question is, can they really hack it? Have they not been out too long? And that particular question makes me really cross because I think, you know, generally speaking, these people, the women I'm talking about, they've brought up children. They've navigated all sorts of turmoil in their personal lives. Uh, You know, very few people have it very easy. And therefore, by the time they come to be getting their careers back on track, they've, they've been through a lot compared to someone sitting there who's been on a salary being paid every day by somebody else, not having to worry about very much, uh, you know, with someone else looking after all the crap that goes on in the background. Um, so yeah, they absolutely can hack it if they want to.
1: So what's been the hardest bit? I mean, I guess having a pandemic landing right in the middle of it can't mm. be easy, can it?
0: Well, the hardest bit with She's Back, it was great. The campaigning was great, all well and good. But then what's the business model? How do you actually, how can you sustain an effort like that without any income? So you have to find out how you're actually going to make any money. And um, and with She's Back, I was never very clear. I mean, we wrote a book, but you don't make any money from selling books unless you're JK Rowling. So um after two or three years of campaigning, I was a little bit floundering in terms of what next. And I, I met two other women, Stephanie Dillon and um, Melinda Wallman. Stephanie had done a lot of return of programmes in different sectors. And Melinda was a headhunter, is a headhunter for the legal sector. So she knew a lot of senior people. So we we sort of said, look... I went to them with this idea that law is a sector where it's tragic the number of women that start out in law and then leave I and mean, it's more than 50 percent of law graduates now are women um why don't we get together and why don't we try and persuade a number of city law firms to work together to put on a returners program for lawyers and because melinda had the relationships and steph had the experience of the returner program and i had the idea we were all three of us able to make that happen So that was a bit of a turning point in terms of proving in in that particular sector that the women were out there and they they did want to go back and they they went back. We got quite a lot of publicity in the lawyer, which was great. And then more law firms came on board. And then in February, by February last year, we'd helped put 25 women back into work across, gosh, 13 different law firms. Everything was going really well. Then the pandemic hit. And for a while we thought, we thought it was game over to be honest because no one was hiring and um everyone was putting discretionary spend on hold um and back in September last year we were feeling pretty low and then a couple of our candidates got offers and then another couple of candidates got offers and before you know it by between September and the 1st of March we'll have put another 10 women back into work
1: that's amazing Mm. so the feeling is that you can't put things on hold forever and eventually life's got to get back to some sort of normality.
0: If the pandemic did one good thing it was to challenge the notion that it's impossible to work from home because that was one of the barriers that we always came up against. A lot of our candidates said you know they prefer to go back four days a week rather than five which is one challenge but also then they'll go well is it possible to work one of those days from home and typically. Pre-March 2020, we would ask a law firm if it's possible to work from home and nine out of 10 of them would say, oh, no, we can't do that. Well, of course, now everybody can do that. So that's that has made it possible. Um, but I think also what I've noticed is that the firms that we do well with, they're not, they don't come to us because they're ticking a DI and i box, diversity and inclusion. They come to us because they recognize that we've got some very talented candidates who they won't get access to if they just try um, a normal recruiter, because normal recruiters don't want to know.
1: This whole idea of ticking boxes for, for diversity and inclusion, I mean, it has had a bit of a, a grim spotlight shown on it in this last week mm. or so, hasn't it, with the whole thing with the, with the chairman of KPMG? and what, Just give me your take on that, because I'm, I've been left a bit open-mouthed about the whole thing. I would say
0: it's less that and more the, the, the more shameful thing was back in the summer um, with Black Lives Matter. So I've I'm, I'm come from a big fall background, the accountancy firms, Deloitte, EYP, and I'm not, it's not just them, but all of the professional, professional firms like that, professional organizations, they, they measure diversity, so they measure gender diversity and then they measure ethnic diversity. But for ethnic diversity, they plonk everybody who isn't white in this box called BAME, Black, Asian, and other minority minority ethnic. What became clear over the summer, when you dig beneath that for the big four, I think it was some, there was an article in the Times saying there was something like, out of all of the equity partners in the big four, in the UK, there were 13 who were black, 13 out of 3000. Now, if you measure BAME, it's much more than 13, because there's quite a lot of Asian ethnic minority partners, but not black. And for me, that, that, that unpicking of some of those metrics and shining a light on, on issues that are more granular has been much more powerful. It
1: really doesn't help, though, when you've got high profile male chair people mm. speaking in this way.
0: I mean, the good thing about Bill Michael, he had to resign. The KPM, Now, two years ago, two years ago, there was a sort of equivalent story um, where some female partners at KPMG had accused some senior partners of bullying. I can't remember the ins and outs of the, and the detail, but they, they, the firm didn't or allegedly didn't deal with it very, very well. And two senior partners, two female senior partners who felt it wasn't dealt with properly resigned and set themselves up on their own boutique consultancy company. This time, the chairman's had to resign. So maybe we've moved on. I don't know. I think you're always going to get Dinosaurs at the head of organizations. But now they say the wrong thing, and it's <laughs> before you know it, it's all, all around the world.
1: So, you've had some notable successes recently, and um, the, 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 the pandemic hasn't slowed you down too much. Have you got uh, any more plans? Are you expanding into? Uh, I mean, I work in IT, in the IT sector. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think about. Uh...
0: We'd love to do something around women in technology, but our next plan, in fact, we launch um, next month. Myself and Steph are taking what we did in the legal sector and we're moving to insurance. So we've got seven insurance companies working with us to go and find women who started working insurance, trained, got qualified, had some years experience and then left because that's another industry. That is very, very skewed towards men at the top.
1: I mean, you've done very well for yourself, obviously. And now um, you are something of a LinkedIn influencer, which I'm quite um, interested in. I spend so much of my working life on LinkedIn at the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly due to the pandemic. But I think it's the shape of things to come. How did you get to wield so much influence?
0: (laughs) Well, do you know what? So before I took a career break, I was director of brand and communication. I was not on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. This was 2008 I don't think anybody not none of the people I knew were so come 2014 when I set up my business I sort of tentatively put myself out there and that's one of the things women hate doing going putting a profile up there when they've not been doing they, in their words have not been doing anything for the last six years so I, I had a profile wasn't massively active I started to follow some people who were writing interesting pieces about the things that i was interested in which was women in the workplace equality diversity that sort of thing but then when i wrote the book um i got a piece of advice from a very very senior experienced pr professional he gave me five minutes of his time and in that five minutes he said right i've thought about your book there's three things you need to do to sell that book linkedin linkedin and linkedin and that's all he told me. And he did give me a contact at LinkedIn. So I'm like, right, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> what do you mean? And I thought about it. I thought, I guess what he's saying is all of, a lot of the people who would be interested, like the women are not on LinkedIn. The women I was trying to sell the book to, but maybe the HR directors and the hiring managers, maybe that's there. So anyway, I thought, well, I better do as I'm told because that's, you know, I'm a good girl. That's what I do. And so I started to become more, more active. And my friend Deb, who I wrote the book with, she always told me about social media that the point is to be helpful to people and to be consistent and to be useful so it was never about promoting what I do particularly it was more about look I found this article this is really interesting I read this so you don't have to these are a few key points and then I also, but because I like writing I would occasionally write my own pieces and then just gradually built a a, a following but it was purely and simply by putting useful things out there that either I'd written or I'd found in the course of my work
1: do you have to get so many followers to get recognized by LinkedIn officially as a kind of a badged influence yeah I
0: th- well they, they I think they look at when they look at the influencers each year I think they look at it's not just how many followers you've got because I think there are ways of getting lots and lots of followers that are just not genuine genuine. yeah Yeah. it's it's more about who's engaging with your posts and how much engagement you get so they they look beneath the pure numbers of of followers it would also be about engagement and relevance I think I don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) well so now you've got this newsletter which is
0: it's very the newsletter (laughs) the newsletter is something completely different it is it's just a thing that I, I used to write a newsletter to our little team on a Friday and it was always quite funny. Um, and then when the team dwindled because of COVID, I was like, oh, now what are we going to do? I used to enjoy writing my little newsletter on a Friday. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll And I noticed that LinkedIn had just brought this newsletter feature out. So I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll write there, see if anybody's interested. And yeah, it's got 5,000 subscribers and it regularly gets 2,000. I mean, it's totally relevant and, and irreverent. It's not serious at all, but I really enjoy writing it.
1: No, it's very funny. And it's like it's like consuming a, a, a weekly column in which you yeah. sort of take a, an amused look at things that have
0: happened yeah. during the week. And you know what? The problem is like, it's now Monday. I'm now starting to think, oh, crikey, nothing's happened. What am I going to write about on Friday? This is a problem.
1: There was a story in the news this morning, which wasn't at all funny. And we've heard it again and again and again which is how the pandemic is disproportionately affecting women i mean that is um mm. that is pretty depressing that that uh, we keep hearing it it keeps mm. being a news story and it's not going to go away i don't suppose there's anything we can do about it really is there
0: well i think there absolutely is something that we can do about it any employer with that has that is hiring people needs to take that seriously and think about how i think proactively about how they're going to offer people who've lost their jobs in the pandemic the route back to work particularly if they're if they're women because a lot of lot of women have have stepped away from from good jobs often sometimes it's because they're in a sector where there's no demand but a lot of times it's because of this whole homeschooling malarkey when they just can't hold down the job and the schooling and everything else that's going going on and when schools go back, those women will need to get back to work. So somebody needs to open the door for them.
1: Maybe that's where you should be focusing your next campaign. Yeah, I'm
0: doing a little bit of work with a couple of people um, to, to see what we can do around getting some publicity for that as, a, as an issue and, and getting employees to sit up and take notice. It's shocking that the, the cabinet, the government hasn't done more to support the, the homeschooling, people keeping hold of their careers. It's just, you know, I think, shocking that it's not been in the news a lot more. Then that problem hasn't been sorted.
1: What would you like to see the government doing to support women who are homeschooling?
0: Well, I mean, I think they should. The Department for Education should have got a lot more sorted earlier on. That you know, in terms of setting some standards, making sure people have got the right equipment, provided some facilities. The nonsense of GCSEs last year that was entirely predictable. But they just bumbled along when we haven't had such levels of incompetence elsewhere.
1: Now, given that the audience for this podcast is a mixed audience, it's a business audience. Mm. What messages of hope can we kind of wrap this up with in in terms of including everybody in in the fight for a kind of better deal
0: well well, here's the good news we are an aging population and anyone that thinks that they're going to get their future talent pipeline from a bunch of 25 to 35 year olds is you're going to be in hot competition with a lot of other people so you, you would be mad not to look at the pool of talent in in, in people and it was a lot of them are women who've taken time out of their professional careers because they've had young children who now have got the experience, they've got the skill, they've got the knowledge, they just need a bit of support to get back. And that's it, they are a fabulous pool of talent. They'll work really hard, they're dead efficient, they're very well networked. They probably represent a good proportion of your customer base. And you'd be crazy not to look at them as a viable talent pool. And because you're all now a lot more agile and not a lot more used to people working in different locations and at different times, it's easy for you to tap into them and easy for them to get back. So there's, there's some really good news out there. Now, if we want
1: to follow your career, where can people find you? <laughs> oh, LinkedIn <laughs> is the best place. Thank you for joining us. That's it for the growth business. This month, there'll be another episode along soon. See you next time.